following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Thank you for coming back after last week's difficult passage. Appreciate it. It was January 17th, 1934, and Jacobus in South Africa didn't want to go out and work his land because the night before there had been a massive rainstorm and it had flooded his property. He was not interested at all at doing what he normally would do, so he sent his son Gert, that's how they named their kids there in South Africa, Gert, and a bunch of workers to go out and do the job that needed to get done. About halfway through the day, as he's still kind of discouraged about what happened the night before and all the rains kind of wrecking all of his work, his son zooms back in a Jeep and is just smiling as big as he possibly can. And he's thinking, what's going on? He's kind of panicked. And his son walks up to him and drops an egg-sized rock in his hand. And that egg-sized rock is a 725-carat diamond. And when he realizes it, he drops to his knees, and he thanks God for basically taking care of him and his seven children for life now, because back in 1934, that particular diamond, the Yonker diamond, is actually worth, back then, $5 million. Can you imagine what it would be today? So here he is with all this wealth, and within months, no joke, instead of having $5 million, he had misapplied his funds, he had uh, mismanaged them, and he found himself again penniless, still looking on his property and discouraged about trying to find that ultimate piece of wealth. The reason I share that with you is because we all know the story of a fortune lost, right? We all know and hear stories about a priceless gem wasted or our world is filled with tales of uh, men and women who suddenly strike it rich and then within months they lose all their friends, they lose their family, they lose their wealth, their fame, their fortune within months. And the reason I share that with you is that's exactly what's going on in a spiritual sense with Galatians. That's what they did. When Paul and Barnabas had preached the gospel to them, Jesus Christ was the center of that and offered them the priceless gift of salvation by grace that only came through faith with no strings attached. There's nothing attached to that. And yet within months, they had allowed these ruthless (laughs) swindlers to basically plunder their faith, these legalistic false teachers had come in, and they were called Judaizers, and they sought to steal their riches, the riches of God's grace, the free gift of salvation worth beyond money, eternally, and they wanted to replace it with a false, fake, pitiful religion of works. They did. And they tricked the Galatians into getting circumcised and following traditions and becoming Jews first in order to be saved. So, in the midst of all this that's going on and the Judaizers winning converts 
to their legalistic cause, the letter to Galatians arrives. And it's kind of like a conquering general getting ready to take back his homeland. This whole book is written to undermine what these false teachers have done and get the Galatians back on the path of salvation by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Salvation is a free gift. Can I hear an amen? It costs you nothing. It's God did the work on our behalf. That's why we rejoice over it. And Paul is trying to very, very strongly support the return to salvation by grace alone. So as chapter 4 concludes, what we've got here is Paul is finalizing his argument. Chapters 1 and 2 was very personal and he's defending himself and his apostleship and the gospel. Chapter 3 and 4 in Galatians is very theological. So he's going after every theological argument. And then chapters 5 and 6, which we're about to start next week, is actually very personal, very practical. And it's going to be the expression of what it means to be a Christian to live under the grace of God. Last week, we had a profound illustration comparing salvation by faith with salvation by works. And he compared salvation by faith. He used free Sarah, Isaac, and heavenly Jerusalem. And then the salvation of works, he used Hagar the slave, Ishmael, the Mount Sinai, along with present Jerusalem. And, and he's trying to win them back. And so the context here, you know what's happening. Paul and Barnabas had just returned to uh, basically Antioch, their home base. And the Judaizers swooped in from Jerusalem. But before they did that, as Paul had been in the Galatia region, which is modern-day Turkey, he had literally seen Jew and Gentile come to saving faith in Christ, and churches were established all throughout that region. So when he's writing Galatians, he's writing a series of churches. But shortly after his return to his base camp, these guys swooped in, and they're trying to add to the greatest gift that was ever given to Abraham. They're trying to add to that. What was Abraham given in his greatest treasure? Abraham was reckoned righteous by what? Faith. That's the teaching of Scripture. The Judaizers, the false teachers, are trying to reverse that and say, no, he was saved by law. And Paul's going, no, 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 no. What the Bible teaches, he was saved by faith. He was made righteous, reckoned righteous. Now, if you're new... Maybe you don't understand what reckoned righteous means. So simply stated, this is Chris Mueller oversimplification, right? Reckoned righteous means that God makes you perfect. He declares you perfect. Not that he transforms you into perfection. He declares you, covers you with the robe of righteousness. So now you can live in God's presence and you will forever be able to live in his presence by being declared righteous. Your sin is judged on Christ. He covers you with his righteousness, right? Declared righteous, but did Abraham have to work for it? Yes or no? No. He received it as a gift by faith. Some of the Galatians had bought into the false teachers. They, they were being circumcised. They were trying to keep the law. They had lost their spiritual freedom. So to persuade them to return to being free from the law, free in Christ, free to obey the Word of God for the first time, and free from constantly trying to earn God's approval. Can you imagine that? Now listen, every other false religion, that's what they're doing. They're trying to constantly earn God's approval. And every time they sin, they've got to continue to constantly earn God's approval. You don't ever have to do that. As a Christian, you already have God's approval 
So he expects you then with a heart the desire to please him. But you never have to earn his approval. Ever. Because you are already given that approval through who? Through Christ. All right? I know it's first hour, but you guys can give me a little bit more, okay? Talk to me now, all right? So here we go. First, number one in your outline, the cutting question. He starts with that. Last week we looked at it. Let me paraphrase it for you. Paul says, you want to be under the law, do you? Do you realize that the law tells you that you have to keep all the law and you have to be absolutely perfect? That's what he's saying there in verse 1. I mean, uh, verse uh, 21. You have to be absolutely perfect. So Paul then uses Abraham to show them again that salvation is truly by faith, not law. So the historical setting here is in verses 22 and 23, he uses Abraham's two wives and two sons to illustrate the difference between, get it now, obeying the law, earning your salvation, get it, earning your salvation, and depending on God's grace, being given salvation. So the big difference is, are you earning it or are you being given it? Christians are given salvation. Every other religion on the planet Earth is trying to earn their salvation. You get it? So that's what's happening here. So he uses an incredible illustration here. Ishmael's birth was motivated by Abraham and Sarah's lack of faith. Remember? Abraham approaches Ishmael and and Sarah approaches Ishmael, or the birth of Ishmael, with God helps those who help themselves. They're going to do it their way. Now watch. That's a great illustration for false salvation, correct? You're doing it yourself. So Ishmael, okay, Hagar, are an illustration of that, of doing a works salvation. God helps those who help themselves. False, error. But in contrast to that, God miraculously enabled Abraham and Sarah to have Isaac. And when Sarah was well past having children and had been barren her entire life, So, God was the one who provided this child. Are you getting it? God did it. God is the one who did the work. Abraham just depended. So, the slave woman, Hagar, illustrates religion of human achievement. We're going to do it our way. The free woman, Sarah, illustrates faith in divine accomplishment. And then, the wrong religion, are you ready, is you trying to earn your way. The right faith is you trusting Jesus Christ to provide it. Are you getting it? Pretty simple stuff. So Paul really wants to put the nail in the coffin. So he uses their technique to communicate to them. And their technique would be allegories and mysterious interpretations. And Paul takes that style, but he doesn't go down mystery. He goes down literal history with real events. So he uses a special way to do that, and that's verses 24 through 27. And he's comparing slavery to freedom. Hagar, the slave woman, to Sarah, the free woman. Ishmael, born according to the flesh. Abraham doing it his way. Isaac, born through God's promise. And the comparison here is righteousness by law. Listen, one more time. To get to heaven, you have to be, say it with me, perfect. Thank you. You have to be covered with absolute perfection. Well, there's no one in this room that's going to be perfect. I know some of you love your wives. Oh, she's perfect. Okay? She's not perfect. You know it. Come on. All right? You know, but we need God's perfection given to us. And that's what he's comparing. The righteousness of law, us trying to do it on ourselves, and then the righteousness that comes as a gift. The two systems. 
So Paul is slamming the door on anyone who adds anything to God's grace or faith. Anything. Now, he concludes with the fun part of this particular paragraph with today, which is basically verses 28 to the end of the chapter and verse 1 of chapter 5. And so I want you to read it out loud with me. There's a couple little phrases in here that are really hard to read out loud. So I'm warning you up front, get your tongue ready to go. And let's read it out loud together and a little bit slower, okay? So here we go, verse 28. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now also. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. This is so good. So point number four, new for today, the practical application. The practical application. It's found in verses 28 to 31, and we are now actually finishing chapter 4. Wow! Okay, so here we are. There are two mothers, Hagar and Sarah, two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, two covenants, the old and the new, two cities, the now and new Jerusalem. The question Paul's asking you is, which system are you a part of? Which system do you buy in or belong to? The reason this matters is that the true child of Abraham is a son or daughter of God, which is the greatest privilege in the world. Listen, it is the greatest privilege right now, and it's the greatest privilege forever. Greatest privilege to be a child of God. But it's not enough to claim Abraham as your father, as the Judaizers did, because Abraham had two sons, not one, he had two sons, and only one of them was free. Listen, that, that means only one of them was forgiven, only one of them was eternally secure, only one of them was made righteous, only one of them was adopted, only one got all the blessings of salvation, only one. F.F. F. Bruce, a uh, great commentator, by the way, says this, quote, if you insist on the priority uh, in the inheritance of Abraham's descendants according to the flesh, remember this, don't forget, Abraham indeed had a son according to the flesh of whom it is expressly stated that he was not to share the inheritance. Therefore, the crucial question for you this morning is, who's your mama? All right? First in your outline, are you a child of promise? Are you a child of promise? Verse 28, And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. Paul's point is, look, you Galatians, you're starting to sink back into the trap of legalistic Judaism. Remember that you're a child of the promise. A child who's received the promises of God. The Galatians and you all today owe your new life. You, here this morning, owe your new life, not to your effort, but to the miraculous power of God. Amen? Just like Isaac did in the physical realm, you in the spiritual realm. So Paul wants the Galatians to see 
that by the promises of God, not law, not works, not your efforts, not trying to be good before God, they are free sons and daughters of God. You get it, one more time. The issue here is not who's your daddy, but who's your mama. All right. Do you recall what the promise was? What's the promise he's talking about here? You're a child of the promise. Well, it's the promise that God first gave to Abraham. All the nations of the world would be blessed through him. Remember that? That's Genesis 12. Well, how? Well, Genesis goes on to give the promise of the gospel. Boy, Abraham was reckoned righteous by faith. Thank you, all three of you. All right. Abraham was reckoned righteous by faith. Salvation by grace through faith. And that promise, all it takes to be a child of God is to believe. Do you have to earn your salvation? No. you have to work for it? No. It's given by faith, freely. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead. He took your place. When your sin falls on Him, His righteousness covers you. You are justified by faith. God's gracious, sovereign power gave them and you life. And now, to fall back under law, <clears throat> what the Galatians were doing, is to deny God's divine work and dishonor Him. I thought an analogy, uh, and maybe this is a painful one, I'm not sure. It's kind of like the sting of a parent. You know what I mean by sting of a parent? There are times when your children get older and they resent you as a parent. Remember that? Some of you are going, I'm living that right now. Okay? Or they attack you. <clears throat> or they disobey you. You know why? Because they don't remember. That's why. You say, what do you mean? They don't remember all the sleepless nights. How you agonized over them. How you prayed for them. How you cared for them when they were sick. How you were willing to do whatever needed to be done so they could have what they need. Remember that? So you set aside your wants so they can be all that God intends them to be. They forgot. They don't remember. They walked away. That's the sting of a parent. Guess what? That's what the Galatians were doing with their Heavenly Father. They forgot what He gave them, what He did for them, that they didn't have to earn. And so here, did you notice what Paul calls those tempted to compromise their faith. Look at verse 28. What's he call them? And you brethren. He calls them brothers because they're children of the promise, but they forgot who they were. It didn't matter whether it's, this is not just for Jews, for, you know, to be uh, basically as Jews. This is for Jew or Gentile. Uh, remember what the Bible said in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. We've already studied it. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. It also says in 3.29, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Don't you love that? You are all sons of Abraham. Honey, you're going to dance. Okay, so here we go. <clears throat> the ones who truly belong to Abraham are the ones who belong to Christ. And Abraham uh, is basically that illustration and that promise of, a, uh, of salvation by faith. So anyone who has faith in Jesus is God's true child in the line of Isaac, born again and made free by the promise of God. So here's, here's the deal. Here's something that you want to consider. Christians, brothers and sisters, 
when you live every day forgetting all the promises that God has blessed you with, or how much grace you have actually been given by God, that your salvation has nothing to do with your efforts, and that your relationship with Christ now and your future in heaven with Him was given to you by faith. When you forget that, you will slowly, subtly slide back into a religion of works. You'll do it. You'll start law-keeping and empty ritualing, and it'll be all about your efforts and what you do. Even in your own heart, even as a Christian, you'll show up to church without any thoughts of Jesus. You'll participate in ministry without any thought of who you're serving. And we've all been there, have we not? Paul tells you, remember, you're a child of the promise. You were given this. By God, a gracious, loving, merciful God. And when it's real, then you can ask the second question in your outline, which is, are you persecuted? Are you persecuted? Interesting enough, people who are trying to be saved by works scale from suspicion to anger to those who are saved by faith. In other words, works religion folks don't like grace faith folks. They don't. And that's the way it's been for the very beginning with the two sons of Abraham. Look at verse 29. Okay, look at this. But as at that time, hard to say, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, and so it is now also. Wow. Paul teaches the spiritual descendants of Isaac who are born according to the Spirit can still expect persecution from the descendants of Ishmael who are born according to the flesh. Even when they were children, Ishmael resented, mocked, and laughed at Isaac. In fact, when Abraham held a feast to celebrate Isaac's weaning, Ishmael mocked the occasion. That's Genesis 21, verse 9. Take a look at it. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, mocking. Mocking. 17-year-old Ishmael was not merely teasing Isaac, his half-brother. He was treating him with contempt. He hated him, just like Hagar hated Sarah. Although they were 14 years apart, they were rivals. And notice the additional phrase at the end of verse 29. I I know you saw it. It said, it is now also. It is now also. And, And Paul's teaching the Galatians throughout history, and still today, the physical and spiritual descendants of Hagar and Ishmael have respectfully opposed or openly persecuted the physical and spiritual descendants of Sarah and Isaac. Have you ever heard this phrase? Ready? Tensions in the Middle East. Anybody? This is where it started, right here. Genesis 21. This is it. It started with Ishmael. It's Abraham's fault. When he tried to fulfill God's promise his way, and God helps those who help themselves and try to do and grab the promise himself. And in the same way, those who hold a salvation by works, trusting in their own performance of the law, hate 
those who proclaim a salvation by grace without works. The Judaizers thought of themselves as legitimate, born, God-honored descendants of Abraham through Isaac and Paul infuriating them right now because he's saying, you're not in the line of Isaac, you're in the line of who? Ishmael. Because you're trying to work your way to heaven. That's why you're doing that. And by writing verse 29, so also it is now, Paul's teaching Christians, you should expect exactly the same kind of treatment Isaac received from his big brother. Christian, you should expect it. Whether within Judaism or Christianity, legalists have always been persecutors. Listen, write this down. Those who trust in God have always been persecuted by those who trust in themselves. Those who trust in God have always been persecuted by those who trust in themselves. True believers will always be more mistreated and oppressed by religionists than by atheists. Even in the future, it is the false religious system of Revelation chapter 17, quote, that is drunk with the blood of the saints. It's religion that's persecuting real believers. Religion. False religion that does the persecuting. You've seen it on the news. I mean, when people claim to be religious and they start to oppress minorities or they hate Jews or they attack homosexuals, you can be sure they do not represent Christianity. They don't. The most serious persecutions often come from people who claim to be religious. Persecution is one way to tell the difference between a true and false religion. Persecution is the opposition Christians face for speaking and doing God's will. Persecution can include, are you ready, ridicule, loss, violence, and martyrdom. That's persecution. One of the distinguishing marks of a real Christian is that they are willing to suffer persecution for their faith. Let me say it again. One of the distinguishing marks of a true Christian, real Christians, is they're willing to suffer persecution for their faith, even die for it. 2 Timothy 3, verse 2 Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. Not maybe, will be. Persecution is happening in Galatia. The sons of Hagar are going after the sons of Sarah. And Jews are persecuting Christians. And Gentiles who are coming to the faith in Christ are being you know, hammered by Judaizers who don't want to live the, have them live by grace. Listen. Tough question. If what you really want is to be liked, you'll never be a very good Christian. An unwillingness to suffer should cause you to wonder about your faith. And you say, Chris, that's a little strong. No, I'm in good company. Martin Luther said, if someone, quote, does not want to endure persecution from Ishmael, let him not claim that he is a Christian. Wow, Martin. It's those Germans. Yeah. Are you a committed Christian? Or are you merely a convenient Christian? Thirdly, are you inheriting? Are you inheriting? What, what makes this life filled with suffering and filled with persecution more than tolerable are you ready? What makes it good? What awaits you, Christian? What's coming in the future? The spiritual children of Sarah and Isaac will receive an inheritance that the spiritual children of Hagar and Ishmael will not. Look at verse 30. 
But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be in error with the son of the free woman. Are you in God's heavenly family? Ishmael never received his father's inheritance, even though Abraham asked God to give it to him in Genesis 6-17. God blessed Ishmael in many ways, but not with the promise of salvation by grace through faith. Finally, when tensions arose in Genesis 21, Sarah said to Abraham, cast out the slave woman and her son, and God told Abraham it was right, and Isaac was to receive the inheritance. And again, the differentiation between Isaac as the gift of promise and Ishmael was the result of human effort, and therefore inheritance comes to those who depend on the Lord, not depend on the law. That's what he's trying to say here. Depend on the Lord, not the law. Inheritance comes to those who will come God's way, Isaac's way, not man's way, Ishmael's way. And the inheritance was given to those who come by faith, not by works. And inheritance changes everything in how you live today. One reason Christians are willing to be disliked, even persecuted for their faith, is that they know what God has in store for you. That's why, by the way, just a sub-issue here. Study heaven. Study heaven, would you? Because the more you study heaven, you're like, yeah, going to be good. Going to be good. It's okay today because it's going to be good. We are God's children and our Heavenly Father has promised us an eternal inheritance of infinite delight. Infinite delight. And again, this is Christ, our King. This is not a democracy. It's a monarchy. And he says and teaches in verse 30, cast out the bondwoman and her son. Paul is quoting here Genesis 21 verse 10 to illustrate that those who are attempting to be justified on the basis of keeping the law will be cast out of God's presence forever. Are you getting this? They're going to be cast out. This is repeated throughout the scripture. You know this. Uh, you know this uh, wonderful illustration in Matthew 22, verse 12. It's, it's frightening, but it's wonderful. Friend, how did you come in here without the wedding clothes? That perfect robe of white righteousness, right? How did you get in here? And the man was speechless. He didn't know what to say. And then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness, and that place where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. And Paul, by quoting Sarah's words here in verse 30, is teaching in a not-too-subtle way that the Galatians, as he's writing, remember, he's writing this letter to the Galatians, he wants them to drive the Judaizers and their legalism right out of the church. Are you getting this? There are certain people we can't have in our midst, and that would be people who are trusting in their efforts to get to heaven instead of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen to that? That's what the church is for. This is not for people who have achieved righteousness. These are for people who are wrecks like us who have been given righteousness. Can I hear an amen to that? And there's a bunch of broken toys all around you. And we cried out to God to save us because we couldn't save ourselves. We can't have people in our midst going, no, 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 just work your way. Just be good enough. Yeah, yeah, you can do it. And we're like, we can't do it. That's the whole point. By trying to place Gentiles under the law, these false teachers prove themselves to be actually slaves, spiritually speaking. Salvation is by grace, and so the church cannot tolerate salvation by works. Freedom in Christ 
can be preserved only by abolishing any and all bondage to the law within the context of the church. You know these verses, Romans 16, 17. I urge you, brethren, keep an eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned. Turn away from them, Titus 3.10. Reject a factious man after first and second warning. You and I must stand firm, are you ready? Against salvation by works. And pay any price to preserve salvation by faith. Are you getting it? It's the extreme. Friends, this is the issue. This is the determiner. If you're trusting in your own efforts to get to heaven, you are not going to get there. If you're trusting completely in the finished work of Jesus Christ, that's the only way to get there. Get it? It's that important. The persecutors will be thrown out and the persecuted will receive their promised inheritance. Sarah had Hagar and Ishmael cast out Abraham's household in Genesis 21. So will the unbelieving descendants of those who live by works of the flesh, those who live by the law, those who try to earn their own salvation, cast out of God's household. Again, Matthew 7.22, you know it. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we did all this stuff. We prophesied, we, we in your name cast out demons, and in your name performed many miracles, and the Lord declared, I never knew you. God still works today the way he worked with Hagar and Sarah, and salvation comes by grace, not by works. Righteousness comes through faith, not by law. Christianity is not a list of a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's basic Christianity is God doing the work to rescue you from judgment over your sins that comes by faith alone. Your expression, your entrusting your life to him. Christianity is a relationship with Christ being in you and Christ through you. That's why you cannot be saved by any other religion. None of us can. Hinduism, Islam, Mormonism, Judaism are all slave religions. They're all trying to earn their way. And even some versions of Christianity like Roman Catholicism, liberal Protestantism, they add works to faith as a basis of righteousness in order to be saved. They make you a slave you're under bondage because they're about what you do for God, not what God does for you. And it never ends. Listen, when you're in those religions, you are never, ever free. You're constantly trying to earn God's favor. This is the only faith on planet Earth where you have been blessed by God and you have His favor. Now live. Are you getting it? It's so important you get that. This is what freedom is. So, are you, firstly, living freed? Are you living freed? What God has done in Jesus Christ, number four, living freed, is to offer his free salvation to all who trust him. Again, that crazy monk who I love and can't wait to meet, Martin Luther, said this, quote, those who try to achieve the status of sons and heirs by the righteousness of the law or by their own righteousness are slaves who will never receive the inheritance even though they work themselves to death with their great effort. For they are trying, contrary to the will of God, to achieve by their own works what God wants to grant to believers by sheer grace for Christ's sake. Are you getting it? If you're working to gain God's acceptance, you've got to realize you're still a spiritual slave. If you want to be free, you need to ask for God's gift of grace, salvation that comes through the finished work of Christ, and then you'll be able to join with all the sons and daughters, saying, verse 31, take a look, verse 31, 
So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of a free woman. Even though believers are, verse 31, brethren in Jesus Christ, and therefore not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman, they are nevertheless under obligation to live faithfully to their Lord. So look at verse 1 of chapter 5. We'll look at it again next week. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing, what? Don't move. One more time. Never, 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 never move from salvation by grace through faith. Ever, under any circumstances, don't attach anything to that simple gospel. And then he says, never, verse 1, do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Jesus Christ made you free. Are you in any time in this room, if you're a Christian, having to earn God's favor? Yes or no? No! God, will you think about that? Will you chew on that a little bit? You already have it. So now live under that. In light of what Paul's been teaching throughout this letter, he implies a disturbing question. And here's the question. Why then do some of you Galatians want to go back to being like Ishmael? It's a lousy name too. Ishmael was a slave, an outcast, and separated from God. It makes no sense. You have been made free, Christian. We don't have to earn salvation, and now as a born-again believer, we have a new heart that wants to serve Christ. In fact, thanks be to God, he shouts in Romans 6.17 that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the what? Heart, new heart, that form of teaching which you were committed, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Paul teaches emphatically that God's stated purpose for our salvation is that we would be free from that kind of religious bondage. Christ set us free from guilt establishing and the deadening power of the law trying to earn it by his death and resurrection. He took care of that. That's why going back into the yoke of slavery is absurd. And yet the believers of Galatia are being duped by the Judaizers to consider doing just that. And by the way, this is, again, making its way through the churches in America and around the world, adding social gospel, adding this, adding that, somehow as a condition to salvation by grace through faith. Don't add anything. The spiritual descendants of Sarah and Isaac should live as they have been living by faith. You live by faith, I live by faith. The encouragement command is stand firm. The warning command is don't be subjecting yourself. Listen, can you imagine being an animal that's yoked to a gigantic cart and you've been freed from that yoke? Don't ever go back to being enslaved. I mean, a weak illustration, I've been backpacking many times, sometimes with a massively heavy pack, and you take that pack off when you arrive at your destination, you feel like you can dance around, like float in the wind, because you had this weight on you for, you know, an entire day, and it, why would you put that pack back on? You've been made free. On a personal level, he's basically talking about Judaizer's way and Paul's way the works way and the faith way. 
He's talking about theologically and doctrinally the way of the law, the way of grace, the way of works and the way of faith, the way of man and the way of God. And then the contrast through this whole passage, you've been there, you walked it through with me, Hagar and Sarah, Ishmael and Isaac, law and promise, wrath and mercy, bondage and freedom, old covenant, new covenant, Sinai and Zion, present Jerusalem and Jerusalem above, fleshly and spiritual, rejection and inheritance, lostness and salvation. The point is clear, there are only two ways to live. Every religion on planet earth and the one taught in the Bible, salvation by grace through faith. One is self-confidence and self-dependence, and the other one is Christ-confidence and Christ-dependence. One is self, one is Christ. One is live trusting in human accomplishment, one is trusting in all the, the divine achievement. The way of Satan, the way of Christ, God's way, your way. Paul says, are you ready? Choose, determine, submit to one or the other. Don't vacillate between the two. Don't vacillate. So take this home, would you? And this good stuff. Love this passage. Letter A. Christian, enjoy your freedom found in Christ. Would you just keep reminding yourself, You're not obeying to earn God's favor. You have God's favor, so now you obey. Remember who you are. You can sing it. You can sing it. We're going to sing it in a little bit. It is well with my soul. I won't be able to get through this. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. This is it. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Not in part, but the You've been saved from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, someday from the very presence of sin. And in Christ, you've been given and set free to love. You've been set free and made free to obey His commandments for the first time. You've been made free with a new nature that wants to please Christ. Oh yes, you'll battle. You're going to struggle. Yes, confess your sin. Yes, repent of your sin. Yes, get help with your sin from others. But would you enjoy the bliss of forgiveness that's not in part, but in whole and live in such a way that you're free in Christ? Christian, letter B, have you been persecuted? Persecution, (laughs) let me define this for you, is not when your boss tells you to turn down your newsboys music. Persecution is not when they run out of gluten-free communion cups. Persecution is not that you worked four weeks in a row as a children's substitute and nobody said thank you. Persecution is not that you're the only Christian family in your neighborhood. Persecution is not when you miss the team's Kick off next week because the service ran a little too long. Persecution is ridicule, 
loss, violence, or martyrdom because of Christ, His Word, and the message of the Gospel, which is salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Have you been persecuted? And maybe today, not to be the overwhelming and not to be morbid, but would you ask yourself, if not, why not? Why not? And let her see, church attender, hell is a place you don't want to go. You don't want to go. In the 1600s, <clears throat> Puritan Ralph Venning, he quotes and comments on Matthew 25, verse 41. Listen to this verse, you know it. It says, Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Heeding this warning, Pastor Venning then expands and explains this single verse in a powerful way. I want to just share with you what he writes in the sinfulness of sin. He says, it's as if sinners should say to God on the day of judgment, Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on you, says God. No, I will have no mercy on you. There was a time when you might have had mercy without judgment, but now you will have judgment without mercy. Depart. Depart. If they should then beg and say, Lord, if we must depart then let it be from your throne of judgment, but not from you. No, says the Lord, depart from me. Depart from my presence, which is joy. Depart and go to hell. Lord, they say, well, seeing that we must be gone, bless us before we go, so that your blessing may be upon us. Oh no, says God. Go with a curse. Depart, you accursed ones. O Lord, if we must go from You, then let us not go into the place of torment, but appoint some time, if not of pleasure, then of ease. Some place not of pleasure, then of ease. No, depart into fire, burning and tormenting flames. O Lord, if it is into the fire, then let it be only for a little while. Let the fire soon be out, or us soon out of it. For who can dwell in everlasting burnings? No, says God, neither you nor the fire shall know an end, be gone into everlasting fire. Lord, then let it be long before we go there. No, depart immediately. The sentence shall be immediately put in execution. O oh Lord, let us then at least have good company who will feel sorry for us even though they cannot help us. No, God says, you shall have no one but tormenting devils, those you obeyed when they were tempters, you shall now be with as tormentors. What misery sin has brought on you, man, to bring you to hear this dreadful doom. Christ says, either come to me and I will give you rest, 
or depart from me, accursed ones. This morning you can cry out to Christ today to open your heart and save you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our opportunity in which to hear it and respond to it. We pray that you would be pleased with how we respond to your truth. We'll give you thanks and praise again for what you did for us. None of us deserve this kind of salvation, freely given, earning your favor without any works on our behalf. Thank you for that incredible gospel, that good news. We pray it might be true of every person in this room. And Father, we'll give you the glory for what you'll do. Thank you again. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day. Thank you.